Well, let's turn now to the Word of God. We want to keep worshiping a Savior like this. And as always, we open up the Scriptures. We're in the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and now we cross into chapter 6. And we're going to take on the first four verses together as we talk about motives today. So why do you do what you do? Let's start with that question. Why do you do what you do? Why did you come today? Why do you worship? Why do you pray? Why do you give? Why do you serve in the ways that you serve? Today, we're going to hear clearly from our Savior that our motives, they matter. That why we do what we do is equally important to what we do. This righteousness that Jesus has been talking about to us in the Sermon on the Mount, here's another reminder that it's not merely external, it's internal. This righteousness that Jesus calls for from us after making us righteous, this is not just about right actions, but right motivations for those actions. And so let me invite you and encourage you in these moments, even before we move into the text, would you throw your heart open wide to God? He doesn't need you to. He already knows your heart. But why not cooperate with the Holy Spirit today? Lord, I want you to search me. Search my mind. Search my heart. Show me the real me today as I listen to your word. So with that, let's dive in. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Once again, Jesus brings us a challenge right at the very core of who we are. He goes right for our hearts. You and I do some good things, but Jesus asked the question, why are you doing the good things? So the first thing we wanna see here from the words of our Savior is this, you and I should check our motives. So this morning, check your motives. Jesus begins this section with the word, beware. Beware. It means stay on the lookout, be careful, be alert to danger. And what's the danger here? Jesus singles it out. It's your pride. That's the real danger. Look at verse one again. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men, here it is, to be noticed by them. Jesus knows this embarrassing tendency that we have to want to show off to other people. Jesus knows this embarrassing tendency we have. We want other people to be impressed with us. What, what is it about us that we want that? Why do we feel like we need that? For someone to think of us, wow, that guy is really good. That lady's really generous. Why do we feel like we need that? Let's just imagine for a second, the pandemic's over. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love that? That day's coming, we just don't know when it is. Our sovereign God knows. But after the pandemic, when they let you back into nursing homes, what if you had a noble desire? I wanna go spend at least a day a week in the nursing homes, just visiting with these elderly precious souls who've been cut off from family and friends for months. What a noble thing that would indeed be. Maybe we can do that. And so pandemic's over, 
you're volunteering one day a week just to sit with and listen to and talk to forgotten elderly people. But would there be a part of you doing that great thing that would want other people to know that you're doing it? Like, man, this is, this is hard every week. First week was all right, but I'm doing this every week. I bet some people would be impressed if they knew I were doing this. And so wouldn't there be that great temptation? This, this probably needs to be on social media. We might even couch it like a prayer request. Pray for me today. Going back to the nursing home to listen to sweet elderly people. Here's Ethel. I saw her last time. Would there be any part of that was, it's not about Ethel. I mean, it partly is, but would there be that other motive creeping in? Or, or what if you and your family made a generous donation to send relief? Your family just felt impressed by God to make a donation that would feed a village somewhere in the world for a month. That's a great thing to do. But, but it, would there be a part of you thinking, this was hard. I mean, this was a sacrifice. And I'd kind of like people to know we did this. And maybe we need to tweet about it. <laughs> maybe we need to tell somebody about it. There's something about us that even our good things, sometimes the motives can shift. We, we want to be noticed. And Jesus said, beware of that motivation. Now, it's more fun to see this in other people. Sometimes we see it in our politicians. An election cycle like this one, sometimes we'll see a politician reading to children in an elementary school. Or sometimes we'll see that politician roll up his sleeves. I don't know when they ever do it. I'm rolling up my sleeves and I'm going to serve in a soup kitchen. And that would all be legit if they always did it. That's like, that's the monthly thing that he does. That's the monthly thing she does. They always do that. But it's a little suspicious when it's, when it's just at election time. Then they might tell you, I always do it at election time. I always serve the poor and read to children when the cameras are here. It's my rhythm. It's what I do. And we look at that and think, that's just not real. That's not a great motivation. So again, more fun to look at them, but it's dangerous to look at other people because we really don't know what's going on in their hearts. So let's drop back and do what Jesus wants us to do. Let's check out our own hearts. Do, do we do that? Do we do our good acts for any other reason than, Lord, I want to honor you and obey you, and I love them? Is there any other motivation creeping into our acts of service? And pastors have to ask this question ourselves. So I have a heads up on you all, all week. I had, a, I had a head start all week knowing I was going to be preaching this to, to allow God to search my heart. Driving in this morning again, Lord, is there anything, is there any motive other than you here? So pastors have to ask this question, why do I preach? Or a given, given week after given week, why do I want to preach well? Or why do I want the church to grow? Is this about reaching the community or is there some ego thing in here for me? Or would I be jealous if God chose to bless a sister church a few miles from us with dramatic numerical growth and worldwide recognition, would that bother me at all? If so, there's something, something's going to miss with the motives. So just know that I'm searching my own heart, but I hope you're doing the same. So why do you sing? Why do you play an instrument if you do? Why do you go on mission trips when we can? Why do you tithe? Jesus says, beware of prideful motives. Beware of having in any part of your motivation to be noticed by other people. So to help us examine our hearts, to help us apply this, I have five indications that your motives might have become unrighteous. And so let's walk through these together quickly this morning. First of all, what if you have no desire to serve? You might couch that in righteous terms. Well, I don't serve because the fear is that if I did serve, I would do it for the wrong motives, so I just choose not to serve. 
<laughs> that would be a cop-out, wouldn't it? That's, that's apathy. There's something seriously wrong. It may not be pride, it's something else. If you have no desire to bring glory to the Lord through service to him. Whenever you hear appeals that we need people to serve. And so when we're in a season when our children's ministry is rolling, like we look forward to again, hopefully soon. When you hear those appeals for workers, if you go, that's always for other people. That's not for me. Somebody else will respond. I'm not going to. And you never feel motivated by God to serve in some way. That's another issue. That apathy could be screaming to you. You may not have met the Lord yet if you never in any area want to ever serve him. Here would be another indication that your motives are off. If you're serving, even serving hard, but you're trying to earn your salvation. Oh, man, I'm gunning it. I'll serve at every opportunity because I'm trying to sure up that I'm going to go to heaven. I'm trying to earn my way to heaven. Listen, that's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. You can't work your way into heaven. We have a savior because you and I can't earn our way. So our service to God should not have in any way, any motivation that I'm trying to to make myself acceptable to God so that he'll let me in. No, Jesus died on the cross to cleanse you of your sin. You should not have faith in yourself in the works that you're doing. Faith in Jesus and the work he did for you on the cross. So we have bad motives if we have no motivation to serve. We have bad motives if we are trying somehow to earn righteousness. Third, if we only want to serve in a way that seems important. So a person might say, you know, I'm not really a children's ministry kind of servant. I'm more of a board member kind of servant. You got any spots on the board? We say, no, we don't. <laughs> not with that attitude, we don't. No, we all want to serve. Where are we needed? What will glorify the Lord? It may not be important seemingly, but I'll do it for the Lord. Or how about this one? Are you jealous when somebody else gets to do the ministry you wanted to do? Like, I wanted, I wanted to do that, and they're letting them do that. It's okay to want to do it, but if you're jealous or even angry, maybe somewhere along the line, that good motive shifted into something more about you. Or how about this one? You only want to serve in a public ministry rather than a private ministry. I want to be noticed if I'm going to serve. But it, listen, shouldn't it be enough that God notices the service that we bring to him? Shouldn't it be enough that God is pleased with what he inspires us to do and when we obey. Shouldn't it be enough that we rejoice in the rewards that he wants to give us? Now, how do we reconcile though this teaching here in chapter six, verse one with what Jesus told us in chapter five, verse 16? It seems contradictory, doesn't it? Back in chapter five, verse 16, do you remember this? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. So in chapter five, verse 16, hey, make sure you're living openly about me that people might see. And here in chapter six, verse one, he says, make sure you don't do your acts of righteousness to be seen by men. Is there a contradiction there? No, there's no contradiction. This is the very same sermon of Jesus. He's not contradicting himself. In Matthew five sixteen, he's dealing with those who are tempted to hide from persecution, to cover up their life in the Lord. This would be a person who says, I don't want to be noticed for Christ. At school, I don't want anybody to associate me with Christ. I'd, I'd rather they not know that I'm a Christian. This is a person who at work, I just try to go under the radar. People don't really like Christians so much these days. I don't want anybody to know. And that's what Jesus is addressing in chapter 5, verse 16. Listen, let the light shine. You're the light of the world. Get out from under that basket. Get up on that lampstand. You are a city set on a hill. You need to shine for me. That's the context and the point 
of chapter 5, verse 16. But chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says, but don't you show off for you. Don't make it about you. One scholar said it this way. We are to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. So being seen is not the problem. It's the goal of being seen. Do I want to bring glory to the Lord? Jesus says, see, they will see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. That's all the difference. Do I want the glory? Do I want people to think how wonderful I am? Or do I want to point people to Jesus? So please go ahead and use your gifts. We don't want to paralyze ourselves here. Well, I might at some point have wrong motives. I won't serve. No, absolutely. Please keep teaching for the glory of God. If you're one who cooks, cook to the glory of God. And you're not just going to cook for yourself. Bless other people with that talent. Witness to other people for the glory of God. Serve in whatever ministry for the glory of the Lord. People are going to see you, but do it all for him. That admiration will go in his direction. So nail down together with me that your whole life is for the Lord and his glory. Paul did this. Paul in Galatians 1.10 shows us how he avoided living for the fear of men or the applause of men. Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the favor of men? Or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Notice there's an either or motive that we have to have. Either I'm seeking to please the Lord or I'm seeking to please men. I can't do both. Either I'm seeking the favor of God or the favor of men. It's either or I cannot do both. So Jesus says to us, first of all here, check your motive. But in so doing, secondly, choose the right rewards. Choose the right rewards. Look at verse 1 again. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Now catch this. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Jesus brings up to us again the reality of spiritual rewards. Now, this makes us a little bit nervous, this topic of spiritual rewards, because we rightly emphasize that salvation is an absolute free gift that Jesus paid for. We've talked about that already. You cannot save yourself. You cannot work yourself in. God freely offers this if you'll just repent and put your faith in Jesus. But the Bible also teaches this, that God has promised to reward the works of those who he has saved by grace. So if you're one of those who've been saved by grace, free gift of God, and now as a child of God, you serve him, the Bible does promise over and over again, on top of the free salvation he gave you, he wants to bless you for your faithfulness. Jesus has talked a lot about it. In the context of our call to endure persecution, back in chapter 5, verse 12, Jesus said, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus speaks about reward. Or also in Matthew 5, 46, when Jesus called us to love our enemies, Jesus said, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Paul taught that there is a reward, free gift of salvation, but God will then on top of that reward faithfulness. So at the judgment of believers, Paul says in 1 Corinthians three fourteen, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. 
If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So a person can be saved, how wonderful, free gift, and yet through unfaithfulness and living that out, not have the full reward that Jesus would have given to that person had they been faithful to the Lord with the right motives. Paul told the Corinthians this in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for I'm under compulsion for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Or Jesus again in the Revelation, Revelation 22, 12, behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Or how about in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, didn't Jesus say over and over again, blessed is this one, blessed is this one, blessed is this one. Among his children, all saved by grace, by putting their faith in Jesus. If you're blessed, he says, in the here and now and and to come, if you're one of those who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, you're, you're among the peacemakers, you're the pure in heart, a blessing God wants to bless. So understand, if you seek man's reward, that's the only reward you're going to get. Look at verse two. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. So if our motives are off and we get the appraise, they get the applause and praise of men, then Jesus says, and that's all the reward you'll get. Your motivations made it a displeasing act in my sight. I will not reward that. You got all the reward you're going to get. But rejoice in this. If you seek God's rewards, you will indeed receive them. And how wonderful is that? That God's rewards we know have to be far superior to any, any applause that you and I seek and then get. Now here's a question. Isn't it an inferior motive to do anything thinking about some reward to come. Somebody might say, well, that's not, that's not even a good motive. But then we remind ourselves, it's Jesus who brings it up. <laughs> it's throughout the scriptures. So it can't be a low motivation to be pleased with, wow, I am doing this because I simply love him and he saved me. I'm just, I'm a beneficiary of grace and I, I want other people to know him. I, I wanna serve him. I'm not thinking about rewards, but when rewards come to mind, that's not a bad motive where we go, oh, that's, well, that's wonderful on top of the free gift of salvation, that's enough. <laughs> but he would choose to, to reward faithfulness, the faithfulness that he inspires, the faithfulness that he even enables. It's his spirit that's giving this desire. He should be getting all the praise anyway, but that God says, no, I want to reward you on top of that as my children. So think about this. You take on a volunteer role that's inconvenient, that you're giving up a lot of TV watching time or gardening or travels. No, I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna volunteer. Is it wrong that God says, listen, that's not what's saving you. You're saved because of what I did for you on the cross, but because of your faithfulness, I want to reward you. Maybe somebody says, I'm gonna serve in the nursery. So when our children's ministry rolls back, roars back open again, hopefully soon, one day when the pandemic's more under control behind us, somebody says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rock babies. I'm gonna take care of babies. I'm gonna change diapers. And God will say, I'm pleased with that. If the mothers are right, I'm gonna reward that. Or somebody serving with three-year-olds, that's gonna require some time. I'm gonna to have to prepare one hour sometime in the week to get ready to what I'm gonna do with those three-year-olds in a little Sunday school class. And then I gotta spend an hour. I could have gone home early or I could have done something else, but I'm serving with kids. God would say, I'll reward that. Motives are good. You're doing it for the kingdom. 
man, I'll reward that. Or think about a missionary right now. This is a hard time to be a missionary. You can't do all the things that you want to do. Some of them feel kind of stuck. They're, they're over there. So many ministers are shut down. They're trying to be creative, but sometimes just the limitations and certain lockdown locations, like they got to be asking the question, why am I here? I'm just kind of holding. I'm in a holding pattern. I'm trying, but I can't do. And they might feel like, is this, is this accomplishing anything? Listen, they're there. If they're there for the right reasons, oh, there's reward there. But Lord, I'm not doing it. I'm not even feeling productive. You just be faithful what you can do. There's reward there for that service. How about the church planner? Launching out to plant a church in a pandemic. Got the Jacksons back here on the back row here wanting to plant in Lakeside. There, there's got to be an easier ministry than that. Is there reward for faithfulness in that? Oh, there's, there's reward in that. So check your motives. Choose the right reward. And then real quickly, care for the poor. Care for the poor. Look at verse 2 again. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Notice here the context. Jesus assumes that you're going to give to the poor. It's not if you ever do it. It's, you know, you, when you do this, make sure your motives are right. But let's remind ourselves, we do give. Remember, in the first century, there was no social security program. There was no welfare system. Those who were destitute, the widows and the orphans and others, they needed the help of compassionate people. That's how they, that's how they survived. And so godly people moved from compa by compassion out of love would help out. But Jesus says, watch out that you're not doing it to look good yourself. In that giving to others, make sure your only motivation is to help as I've inspired you to do. Now, Jesus gives a humorous picture here of somebody blowing a trumpet before they give. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? If somebody did that this morning, you're on your way to the donation boxes on the back wall. Ba -ba -ba -ba. I'm about to give an offering. Or you wind up in some big dramatic way to put it in there. We think, what is that? Scholars don't know exactly what is mine. Is Jesus just being, is he just using hyperbole here, um, blowing a trumpet that nobody ever did that? Or was it the shape of the collection box in the temple was shaped like a trumpet bell there? And would they try to make a little extra noise as their offering went in? Or was it a call to a special offering with a trumpet blast and people would kind of scurry in a real pious way? Oh, I, excuse me, excuse me, I have to go give an offering now. Whatever it was, it was some showy thing that Jesus says, don't do that, that's gross. He called it being a hypocrite, don't, don't do what they do. So we need to be careful not to give for wrong reasons or be careful not to start off with a good reason and then mix it with, I do want to help others and I do want to be recognized for helping others. We don't want to do that. So let me ask you this. Are you more motivated to give when there's that recognition by those giving tiers? You know, so some organizations, if you give on a low level, they'll call you something like a patron. But you know how this works. If you give a little bit more, we're going to list you as a silver patron. You get a little bit more, you're in another category. I'm a gold patron, and then I want to be a platinum one. Is there something, does that motivate you? Like, I'll give more. If they're going to recognize me at the platinum level, I'll give more. Because I don't want to look like a loser down here at patron. I want people to know if I'm going to give. Does that motivate you? Listen, at Staples Mill, let me remind you, nobody knows what you give. I mean, truthfully, only, only our financial secretary has a record of what you give. I'll never know what you give. So I tell this to new members when they're joining that um, never when you're giving your offerings think, I wonder what Jim will think about this. He'll probably think this is not enough or he'll think this is, wow, this is, I'll never know. In fact, in our church, if I were to go ask Stacy, our financial secretary, hey, how much is so-and-so giving? You know what she'd say to me? No. <laughs> we don't do that. It's not our culture. We don't know. She has the record to give it back to you at tax time, but, but we couldn't know. I don't know how I would know. But I love that, don't you? So your giving is between you and the Lord. 
It's a faith adventure with you and the Lord, and I love that, and that's how, that's how it is here. Did you notice in our church we don't have any plaques? So on the back of these chairs, there's not a little thing, donated by so-and-so's family. Or, or there are no statues on the property of somebody who's a great benefactor to the church. We just went through a big building campaign over there, and there was none of that. Hey, if you give this level, we're going to put your name in something. There was none of that. Now, we have one property here on our, on our campus here that has a name, and it's our missionary house. And we call that the Mazel House. And, and I'm going to tell you, Sid Mazel did not donate any money toward that house. Those of you who are new to the church, Sid Mazel gave her life for the gospel on the mission field. She was killed for her faith, a martyr. And a member of our church, I knew her for years before, she, before I came here as pastor, a dear woman of God. What, the reason we love naming the Mazel house, house after Sid was because we knew Sid would have hated it. <laughs> It's so against her personality to get any attention on herself. So before she went to the field herself, she was serving others and helping others get to the field. Then she joined the field in one of the toughest places on earth where she did indeed pour out her life for Christ. But we thought, how appropriate. So this property became available. We were able to buy it. You donated so much to outfit it, to, to encourage missionaries when they come back on stateside assignment. And we thought, here's a perfect name for this, the Mazelle House. So it's okay for us to honor other people with something like that. But it would be awful. We say, listen, I'll donate if you'll name something after me. Could, could you make it, could you make it, could you name the water fountain after me? Or the towel dispenser, something. I need to be recognized. That, that's, that's off. But can I tell you about, and I'm almost done. Can I tell you about a failure of mine in this area? And I hope this illustrates how quickly our motives can shift from good to bad. This was 15 years ago when we were living in New Delhi, India. And uh, we saw beggars all the time in India It's part of, part of life there that grips your heart. But we hadn't seen one on our street before um, in this little, this little side street. But on this particular day, a beggar was on the street. Somebody was pulling him on a cart. He was disabled and there were the beggars. And there was also at the same time, a, a fruit walla, the fruit seller. He had his little cart there. And uh, so I'm out on the street because we're about to take two volunteers back to the airport. And so um, motives are great, perfectly great. Um, I see the beggar. And I see the fruit seller. And I think this is perfect. I don't want to give money to the beggar. That's normally not a good idea. And so, but I can give him fruit. And it's never this convenient, the fruit guy here. So I can give the fruit guy some business. I'll buy some bananas. I'll give it to the beggar. And we're good here. Motives were pure until they weren't. Because in the transaction of buying the bananas to give to the beggar, I thought about those two volunteers. And in my mind, then I thought, they're watching me do this. They're probably thinking, that's really cool how he's handling that. That's kind of brilliant how he's buying from the fruit guy, giving him business, and now giving to the beggar. That's just great. That's, that's what I, in my back mind, this is all happening in split seconds. And so then I do this transaction, I get in the car, and I'm thinking they're probably going to say something about it. And they didn't. <laughs> Mildly disappointed, we chit-chat all the way to the airport. I didn't give it another thought out of my mind. It, was, it all happened in seconds. I didn't think about it again until the next morning. In my time with the Lord, I open up. In my reading plan, I was there in Matthew 6, our text for today, when the Lord reminded me of that. Hey, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. And uh, I knew exactly what the Lord was talking about to me. The previous day, with the volunteers there, I was taking some delight in the fact that they were watching that act. So I confessed it to the Lord, and I'm confessing it in front of you, right? But I, Lord, I was wrong. That, that was really bad. Can I tell you, I felt convicted, but I felt very loved by God at the same time. Like, he, he saw that. 
Of course he saw that, but he saw that and he called me on it in such a specific way in the text. That was not coincidental that I was there to get that rebuke from the Lord. And, and so how wonderful that God is a God who forgives us for these things. So let me remind us, let's, let's do be people who give. Let's be generous, but let's guard our hearts. The motives can shift fast, but listen, there is grace in the Lord. Let me remind us in our giving, maybe you're curious, how is our giving going as a church? We, we are just a week behind in our budget giving from what we planned on. And we think coming through our first pandemic together, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Just to be a week behind. So we're celebrating that. And our finance team, we're celebrating that. Also, you'll be glad to know that we've held back on expenses during the pandemic. And so we haven't spent what we budgeted either. So, so we're in good shape on that. But it's because of your faithful continue, continued giving with no recognition for it. But I'm just, we're just praising God together for that. And let me remind you, there's joy in giving through a local church. This is through the years. Joy and I, it's been our favorite place to give is through our local church to ministries. Because you think 100% of what we do is for the glory of God. Even things like buildings that don't really excite us and paying utility bills, that doesn't excite us. But all of this is for the glory of God. The, the personnel expenses, of course, that's for the glory of God. Literature and the media, the wristbands for sharing the gospel, benevolence funds to help others. <clears throat> Children's discipleship ministries and <clears throat> student discipleship ministries, that's to the glory of God. Our compassion ministries to help the homeless or to help the hungry or immigrants, it's to the glory of God. Our support of missionaries, we're glad to do that. We delight in that. We do that through our regular givings to support the church plants that we support in Short Pump and in Lakeside. We love to do that. That's coming out of regular giving. The two pregnancy resource centers that we support to save lives in Richmond, that's happening out of your regular giving. Don't you wish we had a cooler name for giving than our regular giving? <laughs> that's amazing what's happening through just the normal offering given, the parts that are sustaining ministry here, and, and then the money that's going around to the nations. It's exciting. And then there are those over and above offerings coming up, like the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. That's coming up. And how exciting that's going to be. Not celebrating each other's individual gifts, but celebrate together what we're doing for, for the nations to come to Christ. So give out of love. Give out of compassion. Give out of obedience. Give as the Lord prompts you and do it all for the glory of God. And this drives us back to now our invitation. Jesus has exposed our hearts. We've sometimes done things. I've confessed it to you as well. Sometimes we've done things out of pride. We've had other bad motives. Jesus is offering salvation for our deep down sins. The ones that maybe we used to excuse because we just thought external, but Jesus died on the cross to save us from our pride, to save us from our greed, to save us from our lust. Jesus died on the cross to save us from our apathy and all of our disobedience. So today, run to Jesus. If he's put his finger on something, run to him. If you've never asked Jesus to be your savior, ask him to save you today. Be willing to turn from sin. Jesus, would you save me? You died on a cross for me. You were raised from dead. You are the Savior. I'm now putting all my hope in you. Would you save me? And then if you are a believer and he's put his hand on something like, okay, there was a motive that's offered. You're doing all this for these motives that are often, listen, respond to his gracious offer to forgive you for that as well. Let's pray together.